following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. What a joy to see you today. You look well. You look fit. You're not like that man that went to the doctor and said, Doctor, I'm sick again. The doctor said, You know what you are? You're a hypochondriac. He said, I want a second opinion. He said, Well, you're not real good looking either. But people that come to the house of the Lord are good-looking people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look better than I do, and don't lie in church, all right? (laughs) Don't you lie in church today. Amen. What a joy to see all of you today. It's a great day. I love preaching on Easter Sunday, but I also love preaching after Easter. Preaching on Easter Sunday, if you can't do that, you might as well just call it quits. But if you can preach after Easter, you might be a pastor for a long time. So I've been here a while. I want to preach today because God's put something in my heart. We're starting a series today I'm very excited about to all our people that are following us by Facebook and to our church in Tulsa. By the way, our church in Tulsa had 77 people last Sunday. Pretty neat. 77 people. Started from just a few folks that just wanted to get together and have church, and now it's, it's growing, growing, growing. They're looking to looking to move into a larger building. We're excited about that. We're thrilled about that. Kudos to you, Tulsa. We love you very much. And we're doing that right here at CLC in Austin. We're moving forward. We're going forward. And I want to I talk to you today about the big life. Everybody say big life. Big life. We're going we're to talk today about abandoning smallness. We need to abandon smallness. We need to leave smallness beside the road and move on. Because God has got great things in store for us. Everybody say, He's a big God. God. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. God bless you. Let me preach a little bit. If you're a guest today, we honor you. We honor you very, very much. My wife is not here today, so I probably won't preach as good as I normally do. Because I can always think of a story about her, but when she's not here, I don't want to say anything about her. But I, I, I I want her to be here so she can hear it. And uh, she's on a plane. She's headed home right now. No, we're not separated. And we're not looking for a divorce. She took the girls, and they all went to New York City. And uh, no, there's no yay here. And I was eating in Luby's yesterday by myself over in a corner in a booth. And I felt alone again, naturally. Like Gilbert O'Sullivan, you know, I was just, I was over there by myself. I almost took my, 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 my phone out and took a picture of myself and sent it to her with the most pitiful expression I could ever express and say, well, I wish you was here, but I know you're having fun where you are. Just go ahead and have fun and I'll, I'll get by. But I didn't do that because I knew she was coming back today and I'm excited and I'll be at the airport to pick her up. And when I see her, I won't have to read a book on how to greet her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hug her right there, probably bend her over like an old Navy boy coming home from the war. And she'll say, quit that. And I'll say, I'll do it again. If you say that one more time, I'm going to do it again. One of the first songs I ever learned as a child in Sunday school was about God's bigness. He's got the whole world, we used to sing, in his hand. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. You learned it too. Wasn't hard to learn. We serve a big God who wants to do big things. 
He's got big plans. Jeremiah 29 and 11 for his kingdom kids. He calls us to think big with him. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. God commanded this thing to be put together, and here we are today. <laughs> Hello, everybody. The stage lights just came on. There's a children's book that's entitled, Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? It's to help kids see the bigness of the universe that they really live in. The largest animal on earth is a blue whale, and just its flippers alone on its tail are bigger than most animals on earth. And that the blue whale does not compare to a mountain. If you could put a hundred blue whales inside of a huge jar, that'd be a big jar. You could put a million of those whale jars inside a hollowed out Mount Everest. But Mount Everest isn't as big as the earth. Stack a hundred Mount Everest on top of one another and it would be just a whisker on the face of the earth. The earth isn't nearly as big as the sun. You could fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. However, the sun isn't anywhere near as big as that red super giant star called Antares. You could fit 50 million of our suns inside that one star. But Antares isn't anywhere near as big as the Milky Way galaxy. Billions of stars, including superstars like Antares, make up the Milky Way galaxy. But the Milky Way galaxy isn't anywhere near as big as the universe. There are billions of other galaxies in the universe. Yet filled with billions of galaxies, hear me now, not millions but billions, the universe is almost totally empty. The distances from one galaxy to another are beyond human calculations. And one might, who created, the one who created it all, spoke it into being and sustains it with his power. There's approximately, folks, 200 discovered planets outside of our solar system. Stars, if you counted a star every second just in our galaxy... It would take you 2,500 years to count them all, just every second. But the language of the Bible is very simply like this. When God got ready to, to do the stars, he said he created the stars also, just five words. He's a big God. Estimates of, on number of galaxies range from 100 billion to 500 billion. Now, with that in mind, with that bigness of God, imagine God saying to Abraham one day when he called him out of the land of the earth of the Chaldees in Genesis 22, I will bless you. I will bless you and will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's a big God talking to a man that was going to do his will on this earth. God has big plans for his people. You believe that? When it comes to his kingdom, Habakkuk 2 says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, God wants this church to be turned on by something more than just what happens in our society. He wants us to be turned on by the fact of God doing something great in our world of spirit living. Jesus started with just 12 and one of them turned his back on him. Then he had 70, sent them out two by two. Then 120 received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 more were added to the church that day. And then 5,000 later. But today there are estimated 6.9 billion people on the planet we call earth. And there's 2,229,000,000 Christians in that group. Can you say amen to that? That's awesome. Second Peter 3 and 9 said that it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God, do you want brown people, white people, black people, red people, yellow people? He says, I want all people. 
Do you want rich people, medium rich people, or poor people? He said, I want all people. Do you want educated people that think they're educated or uneducated people? He said, I want all people. Why? Because God thinks so big. He loves us all so much. John 3 said, for God so loved the world. Amen. He loved the world. That's big thinking. That's a generous God. He loves the whole world, which is the cosmos that the world is. But he also loves the world, which is people that we are. It's an all-inclusive word. So this this word world means not only where we live, but who we are. He loves the whole wide world. Isn't it an awesome thing? Don't you sit here today and say, Jesus doesn't love me. Come on, clap your hands and say, I'm one of those kids. And he loves me right where I am today. They say the top 10 churches of our world are well over 50,000 in attendance on Sunday. They call them Gigi churches. It's a new name because they're so massive. Hartford Institute uh, says that there are over 1,300 mega churches of over 2,000 or more that meet on Sunday morning in attendance, and it's Protestant churches only. And according to that data, approximately 50 of those churches have numbers ranging from 10,000 to 40,000. So there's a big thing happening. The Bible said in the last day, he'll cause the latter rain and the former rain to come down together. And in the last day, he's going to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. It's hard to hear the news today and then realize that God's doing a big work in his church today. But I got some good news for you. God's in the saving business even now. Come on. He's in the saving business even now. Clap your hands real big. He's into baptizing people right now. He's into healing people right now. He's into delivering people right now. God is in the saving business now. Not only does God think big, but he gives us a mandate as human beings to think massively big. The first instruction he gave man in Genesis 1:28, when he had created him, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, have dominion. Folks, he was talking to people that didn't even know what clothes were yet. Just two people. He said that to, can you imagine? Here they are standing there. What you got for us, God? I want you to, I want you to, I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue. I want you to have dominion and fill this earth with people. Okay, God. How do we get there? We need some clothes. You know, we need something here. But it's amazing to understand that the first thing that God spoke to them was to get bigger and get bigger and get bigger. Here's what I want to tell you. On this morning after Easter, all last Sunday we're celebrating resurrection. But right now I want to tell you it's time to grow your faith. It's time to start thinking bigger what God can do. If Jesus Christ can come out of a grave, you and I can build a church in South Austin. Come on, let's make it happen in the name of the Lord. Clap your hands real big. Paul said it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Dear Corinthians, the message version, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. You didn't fence, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and live expansively. What he's saying is, kids, it's time to start abandoning smallness in your life. It's time to quit thinking like something that lives at the bottom of the ocean. The light of the Lord has come. It's time to start thinking big. It's time to start thinking big. You know what, folks? There's no settling in this church. We're moving forward in the name of the Lord, and it's time to think that God has got something even greater for us now. You know, there's three things that small thinking brings. Number one, it brings petty thinking. Small thinking brings petty thinking. 
thinking that it's stuck on petty issues, you know, that contribute nothing beneficial and worthwhile to life. Petty little arguments, petty little accusations, petty competition, petty, petty, petty. In fact, if my name was Richard Petty, I'd change my name. Petty, 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 petty. If you get distracted by petty thinking, it'll occupy your time, it'll occupy your attention, and it'll hinder you from going big and thinking big and doing big. It's time to throw petty thinking in the ditch and keep walking forward in the name of the Lord because greater is he that's in us than he that's trying to hold us back. Come on. Small thinking number two is poverty thinking. It really is. It's poverty thinking. Thinking small toward resources. It's getting mentally occupied with lack and with poverty so that all of our mental energy goes toward cutting back and no mental energy left for expansive, moving forward thinking. So what it's saying is you don't have enough. You don't have what it takes to get over that hurdle. You know, an impala, an impala can jump and leap as high as 30 feet, but you can put a six-foot fence in front of him. If he can't see the other side, he'll never jump over it. And there's so many people that get right to the fence and God says, come on, it's time to go over. It's time to make it. But because you can't see the other side, you stay on this side. But I'm telling you, you've got what it takes to leap to the other side. Come on. You've got what it takes to go to the other side. And God wants you to think bigger than poverty thinking. The small thinking, number three, is stingy. It's very stingy. It really is. Driven by need to hold on to everything we have. You know, I can't invest. I can't do this. I can't do that because it's our security. Rather than believing that God is your provider. Everybody say, he's our Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah. He gives us power to get wealth and not be stingy, but to be generous. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But Proverbs says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I didn't say that. Proverbs did. Solomon said that. Everybody say, Lord, let me get bigger. Come on, let me get bigger. Ever, it's kind of like that, it's kind of like that little kid that I heard about, read about. One night there was a horrible thunderstorm, and the dad got up and wondered what his little five-year-old girl was thinking and doing up there upstairs. And so he goes in her room and he, he opens the door, hoping that she's still asleep, and she's not. She's in her pajamas, she's on the windowsill, and she spread eagle like this against the window. And it's thundering and it's lightning. And daddy said, honey, what are you doing? She said, oh, daddy, God woke me up speaking to me. And he said, come to the window. I want to take your picture. <laughs> I love kids that understand that when it thunders, God's talking. And when, and when it lightens, God's taking our picture. Come on, it's time to believe in a big old God. You can teach your children that God is massive in everything. Come on, get your faith going. Get your faith going. Get bigger in your thinking. Every time man stretches his thoughts beyond where he is, he taps into something bigger. Roger Sperry in 1981 was a Nobel Peace Prize winner in physiology. And he said this, when you learn new languages at an older age, or you learn something new, some kind of new technology, you grow new connectors in your brain. And your brain actually grows connectors that makes you healthy in older age. And that's why people maybe work some crossword puzzles or, or do, some kind of, do some kind of numbers game because they want to make. But listen to me. It's time for you to think some new creative ideas and new creative thoughts because God is not finished with you. I stood, I stood in a conference in Salt Lake City and met the, the Colonel Sanders. I met him. He was just a little white beard, a little white, had that white suit on. I said, man, are you the chicken man? He said, I am. 66 years old, he still created chicken. I'm here to, not created, he created how to cook it. 
But what I'm telling you is that you're never too old. Somebody walked up to me today and said, how old are you? He said, 77. I said, Robert Duvall made a movie when he was 77. Come on, get in the movie business. Anything. I'm just telling you, it's time not to lay down, not to stop what we're doing. It's time to grow because God wants us to get big in what we are in our life. God's church needs to be advancing, growing, powerful, a global influence in this world. You know, the movie Avatar really began in 1994 when James Cameron wrote an 80-piece screenplay for the film. And he was going to shoot it right after 1997 when he created the epic film Titanic. And he planned to release it in 1999. But the necessary technology that he had created in his mind was not yet available to achieve his vision of the film. And so he spent his time with technology teams to catch up. He initiated and made his goal to be a part of implementing, created actual camera shots and camera technology and software that was used to finally shoot and film his vision that was the movie Avatar. Here's what I'm telling you, folks. It doesn't matter what God drops in your mind because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think. He is able to do exceeding, oh, hallelujah, abundantly above that we're able to ask or think. Come on, get to thinking big in your life. Big thinking. His name was Monty. He was a senior in high school, 18-year-old kid. One day, the teacher asked them to write a class essay of where they thought they would or wanted to be in 10 years. The teacher said, tell me your dreams. And Monty went home and wrote his quickly, wrote three pages very quickly and brought it back to the teacher. He said, in 10 years, he wrote, I want to own a horse farm of at least 200 acres. I want to be a horse trainer for all America and the world. I want to make $200,000 a year when I'm 28 years old and live in a 4,000 square foot home. I want to be in constant demand of people who desire my techniques and horse training. And when he turned in his paper, the teacher looked at it and gave him a great big old huge red elf. And she wrote on there, come see me. So after the class, she called him to his desk and said, Monty, he said, she said, what you are dreaming is a pipe dream. This is not a dream. It's a complete impossibility to do this in 10 years. Go home. Rewrite your goals and dreams, and I'll give you a second chance on your essay to up that F to something better. He went home, spent the whole weekend trying to, <laughs> trying to narrow his scope of his thinking. He came back on Monday, turned his essay back in, the same one he had originally written. Same red elf on it. And he said to the teacher, ma'am, I tried to take your advice. I really did. I really desired to please you in my goals, but I've decided to tell you, ma'am, that you can keep your elf, and I'll keep my dream." He became one of the most desired horse trainers in all the world. They made a movie about him with Robert Redford called The Horse Whisperer. His name is Monty Roberts. He even became the trainer of the Queen of England's horses that ran in Buckingham Palace. Think big. Dream big. will bring big results. I'm going to tell you something. The world, whatever the world is telling you is not, not true. It's fake news. I'm telling you what God is telling you today. That's the right news. God said you have the ability you have the strength. You have the mind power. You have the grace. I've given you the ability to think bigger than you could ever imagine. Get out of that small thinking. Abandon it in the name of Jesus and stand up and say, I will, I will become a big time thinker in the kingdom of God. 
I will have a big life. Come on, clap your hands. I'll have a big life, a big life. Microsoft Corporation has made its founder, Bill Gates, the wealthiest man in the world. But it was started in a garage by three geeks who would not take no, who would not take you can't, or it won't work for an answer. The Bible also tells us that the just shall live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? Hebrews 11 and 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So it's time to reach into what cannot be seen to fulfill our dreams. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above that that we can ask or think. Now let me tell you another story about an 18-year-old boy. This is found in the Bible. He was 18 years old and his daddy told him to go to the battle and take some bread and some corn and some cheese to your brother's. The army of Israel was hiding in rocks or anything else they could find because they had never seen anything quite as big as the man that stood in the valley that day, a man called Goliath, a Philistine, nine feet, six inches tall. And they saw an obstacle that was so big that made them feel so small. But David said, I'll fight him. In fact, he said, what does a man get if he whips that guy? And they said, well, the king will make your house free in Israel. That means no taxes. That'd be nice in Austin, wouldn't it? He said he'll give him a lot of money. And he said he'll be able to marry the king's daughter. And when he got to that third part, David had been looking at them king's daughters. They're pretty good-looking girls. And that would motivate any young man. He said, I'll kill him. What would you say that reward was again? He asked him the second time. That third one's what I'm interested in. The king's daughters? Okay, I'll go take care of him. And Saul looked at him and he said, you know what? He's a big man, David. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David never saw Goliath as a big man, a giant of a man. All he saw was someone out of covenant with God. Sometimes when hell tries to stop you and your dreams and your goals, understand that that's something out of covenant with the God that you serve. Don't let something out of covenant keep you from walking in covenant with your God and your dreams. Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above that we're able to ask or think. Come on, don't let somebody, I don't care how big it is, how massive it is, stop you from doing the will of God in your life. Wow. So David goes out and takes him down with one stone and cuts his head off with Goliath's sword and runs back to the city and all the maids start saying Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And Saul got a little jealous because When David was asked to put on Saul's armor, he said, this thing hadn't been tested. (laughs) But I've got something that has. And he went out and fought him with a slingshot and won the battle. But now let's fast forward. Now David is a hunted man because everybody's looking to him. And he goes to this place called Adullam. 1 Samuel chapter 22, my sermon today. He goes to this place called Adullam. And hearing that he was there, 400 men come to him at Adullam. And they come to him with these kind of ideas. Are you ready? They were men who were in debt. Say debt. Debt. Everybody say they were discouraged. Discouraged. And they were discontented. discontented. Now don't raise your hand, but does that hit anybody in this house? Are you discontented with life? Is there some discouragement going on in your life? Do you have a little bit of debt? (laughs) Well, that hits, doesn't it? 
I got some of that, Pastor. Everybody say debt, debt. discontent, and discouragement. And these 400 men were considered misfits. And they gathered with David in a cave. For crying out loud, they met in a cave, folks. Not a church. They met in a cave. Not a house. They met in a cave. Men that perhaps armies had forsaken. Maybe they didn't seem to be large enough for other armies. Maybe they could not pass the strength test. They didn't bench press enough. Maybe they were not good enough swordsmen or handy enough with the spear and the shield. Maybe they were insubordinate before. Maybe just maybe they weren't the sharpest tool in the shed and couldn't get it. Or could it be that they just were small thinkers? And they didn't believe that they were able to do what God could do for them in their life. This much we know. That group of 400 misfits with God on their side became more powerful than the tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands in the armies of Israel. For 37 of them became mighty men of God in David's army. Now, if 37 out of 400 became mighty men, let's do the math. If 2,400 show up today, that is six times 40, 240 people. Wouldn't it be neat today? Wouldn't it just be neat if I could preach to this congregation on first, second, third service and I could get 240 people to stand up in their situation, to stand up in their debt, to stand up in their discontent, to stand up in their discouragement and say, I'm here. I'm ready to start thinking a different way. I'm here. I'm ready to declare that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm ready to declare that my faith will never waver. I serve a resurrected Savior. Somebody help me preach right now. David had no kingdom. He had no kingdom. He did not have the finest horses and chariots in the land. He didn't have the best cooks and choice dining like Saul. He had no land to call his kingdom. He had no capital or wall city as a necessity. He had no palace to sleep in at night. He had no crown, no robe, no ring on his finger, no court, no government. But he did have an anointing. He did have an anointing. Because when Samuel had crossed through all seven of those older brothers... And said, he's not here. Do you have another son? And Jesse said, yeah, I got one out there watching the sheep. He said, go get him. And when he walked in, Samuel said, this is him. And he poured six quarts of oil on his head. And David walked out of there spitting and sputtering and anointed. And when he walked into that cave, it don't matter if you're in a cave, in a house, in a church. When the anointing's on you, it is on you. When you walk in this world, the anointing's on you. When you get up in the morning, the anointing's on you. When you lay down at night, the anointing's on you. When you walk in the street, the anointing's on you. When you live in your office, the anointing's on you. When you go to school, the anointing's on you. There's something about the power of the anointing that still destroys the yoke. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. Now you got to get this. I don't have much time. You got to get this. So Adalim. I looked up the meaning of the word Adalim. It means the glory of Israel. It might be a cave. But the glory of Israel is there. Micah 1 and 15 will tell you that. There was an anointed king leading them. David had been anointed. 
There was 400 that met in that housed cave that held, history said, not over 250, about 2 to 250, maybe 300 in a squeeze. So can I tell you that David, in order to teach all four of them, he had to have two services on the weekend. He was the first multiple service man. And when he set that ark on the tabernacle on, uh, on Mount Zion, that's the tabernacle that's going to be restored in the last day. David was a man after God's own heart. And he taught these people. You know what he taught them? I'll tell you what he taught them. He said, guys, listen, I want to give you some lessons here, some object lessons. I want to tell you about your future, okay? You've got a great future. You may be in debt. You may be discontented. You may be discouraged. But I've got a great future for you. And he'd take them out on the porch, if you may, of Adalem. And he'd say, see over yonder? There's a city over there about 14 miles. And it's called Bethlehem. And that is your future. Because a king's going to come. A ruler's going to come. Hallelujah, a Messiah is going to come. We don't know his name, but he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he's going to rule with us, and he's going to reign for us, and he's going to take care of us. And then he would step out on the porch another time on the, on the balcony of Adalem, and he'd say, boys, you see over there about two miles? You see that little valley right there? You see that valley? That's where I took him down, boys. That's where 9-6 hit the dirt with one stone. The valley of Elah is where I killed Goliath. So, boys, you've got a future. The Messiah's coming. You've got a victorious past. I've defeated the armies of the Philistine. And now you're standing here. Don't tell me you're in debt no more. Don't tell me you're discouraged anymore. Don't tell me you're discontented anymore. You're standing in the middle of two of the great things in my life. And I will declare to you right now, on this Sunday morning, there's a heaven that's waiting on us. Jesus is coming back for the church. That's your future. And I'll tell you something else. God has brought us all out of a miry pit. He's established our going, put our foot on the rock and said, this is the way, walk you in it. Oh, hallelujah, I feel that in my spirit. David, David, turn those boys into mighty men because he understood we've got a future. We have victories in our yesterday. And those 400 men caught the big thinking of the anointed king. And 37 became mighty men. It's amazing what can happen. When people start thinking big. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, the 37 names are mentioned. I won't teach them all. But the first is Adino, the Esnite. He had a spear in his hand and killed 800 men one at a time with a spear. That's one tough man. What army wouldn't take him now? Come on now. Then there's Eleazar, the Elhite, One of the three mighty men. He arose and smote the enemy until his hand was weary. And his hand clave to the sword. Glory. And then there's Shama, who was in a field of lentils one day, which means beans. Beans. And some guys tried to take that bean patch away from him. And he whipped them all in the bean patch. Because he wanted, he wanted the enemy to know, I don't care how small it is, how insignificant it is, you're not taking it from God's kingdom. We're going to live this thing and we're going to defeat the enemy that tries to steal what we have in God. Clap your hands and rejoice. And those three, those three one day when David was in a hold, he was in Adullam and the Philistines were right down there. David longed for a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem because he'd been teaching them about that. And they knew it was about a 14-mile journey. So those three men break through the host of the Philistine garrison and got him a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. They ran the first marathon, 14 miles over, 14 miles back. 
And they came back holding a big old picture of water. And when they got back, they said, David, we found your water. And David would not drink it because of the sacrifice that they had given. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Men who were discontented, in debt, and discouraged became mighty warriors. Another one, another one by the name of Abishai took his spear against 300 and slew them. And this is the one I love, Benaiah. He slew two lion-like men of Moab, and he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. He said, I don't care if it's cold outside. I'm going to take on that lion and just take him. I'm going to demane him, and he will never roar again. Here's what I'm telling you. God can take you from debtness and discouragement and discontent with an anointing in the house and understanding the future and realizing there's victory in our past. He can give you big-time thinking for the kingdom of God. Anybody want to plug into that? That's not a 110, folks. That's a 220. Plug into it. Let's go forward in Jesus' name. Come on, clap your hands real big. Rejoice today. Rejoice. Them old boys might have said, I may be homeless right now, but I have a palace in my future. I may, I may be eating ramen noodles right now, but I have a prime rib in my future. I may, be living, I may not be living large today, but the Lord is able to bless me and enlarge my territory. So I'm going to go ahead and get a bigger tent. I'm going to lengthen my cords, and I'm going to strengthen my stakes because God's doing big things in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit. And I'm going to have new connectors growing because God's with me. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. Randy, if you'll help me. I wish I had about another hour to preach to you because I sure could. Ten spies saw the giants in the land of Canaan in the book of Joshua. Or the book of Exodus, pardon me. Two saw the land, the milk, the honey, the grapes, the victory. Ten said we can't and two said we could. Ten saw small, thought small, dreamed small. Two saw big, thought big dream big. We don't even remember the names of the small thinkers, but who could ever forget Joshua and Caleb? Because big thinkers always make the headlines. Not here, but in God's kingdom. And if you could read Jerusalem's paper today, God, if you could read the print on the headlines of Jerusalem's paper today, It's saying something like this. There's some big thinkers about to walk out of one of my assemblies down there in Austin, Texas called Christian Life Church. It's a South Austin church that the enemy thought he had destroyed and annihilated. But no, 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 no. We're going to walk out of here today saying our God is an awesome God. He is able. He is willing, he is mighty, he is strong, and he will win the battle because we are God's kids. You know, if God is our partner, we must think big, big, big. You know, Abraham was told in Genesis 13 to do something very strange. And some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking like Abraham thought in Genesis 13. You might think this might work for others, but it hasn't worked for me. But go to the book of Genesis and read about Abraham in Genesis 13. God promised to make him a great nation. However, Abraham's present circumstances did not line up with the vision God had given because Sarah was barren. 
there was no hope of a child in their home. But then something happened. The negative energy of Lot, who never built an altar, never paid tithes to Melchizedek, never made a decision that didn't favor anybody but himself. Lot, selfish Lot, was sent away to a land that he chose that was rich and fertile. And Abraham was left with the, with the crumbs. And as soon as Lot departed, the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north and the south and the east and the west. And if you feel like it, Abe, why don't you start walking in those directions? Because everywhere you put your foot, everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I want to tell the 30-something something here today. Does that sound right? The 30-something something here today. Some of you have been successful already, but God's not near finished with you. I want to tell the 40-something something here today. You may be in midlife. You may be wanting to trade in your 98 Oldsmobile and get a heck of a deal on a new Porsche car. I don't know. But I do know one thing, that God's got more for you than you could ever imagine. And I want to tell the 50 crowd today, that God's got some great things for you, even though you're losing your hair and you got a little, got a little slump in your walk. God's got some big things for you. Come on. And I want to tell the 60 crowd. Hello, that's me. I want to tell the 60 crowd. You're not near finished, son. Keep preaching. Keep going. Don't tolerate. Don't sit down. Don't hold your peace. Get up and say, Thus saith the Lord, I will get bigger in the kingdom of God in my life. I want to tell the 70 year olds plus come on it's not time to fold your tent it's not time to plan for your funeral it's not time and I want to tell the 80s folks something hang in there keep walking keep singing keep believing glory you're an awesome crowd and if you're 90 plus I salute you chiefly because you deserve a salute today Stand to your feet. Clap for the word of the Lord today. Clap for the word of the Lord today. Come on. Receive it. Receive it. Receive the word of the Lord today. Receive the word of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. I you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And Sunday after Easter, everybody say, Jesus is risen. He got up. He is the resurrection. He is present tense in our life. And because He lives, I can make plans. I can grow big. I can get it in my spirit. I can get it in my heart. I can make this thing work. I'm a child of God. Ha! I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. Now, if anybody wants just a special blessing, raise your hands all over the building where you are. Just raise your hand. You just need something special in your life. God sees those hands. Raise them up. Raise them up. Hallelujah. I preached past altar time, and I apologize, but I just got so excited today. Raise your hands up. Dear Father, keep them up. In the name of the Lord, touch these people whose hands are extended right now. 
God, they're reaching for higher things. They're reaching for greater things. They're reaching for powerful things. Thank you, Lord, for their lives. Thank you, Lord, because they came to the house of the Lord today. And they opened up their spirit and they gave their heart to you today, Lord. And they gave their mind to you. And, Lord, they realized that you're a mighty God, a big God, an awesome God. And, Lord, we can be mighty, awesome, big people. We can grow, God. Get us out of small thinking. Let us abandon it. Let us walk away from it, God. Let us not be a part of our lives any longer. We honor you. We salute you. We praise you today because you are wonderful. And we are wonderfully made in your image. And God, if you're great, we can be great. If you're awesome, we can be awesome. But we'll do it under your auspices, God. We're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to do it because your hand is upon us. And it's in Jesus' name I bless these people. In the name of the Lord. Now clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big.